Hi, you are listening to a podcast series on sustainability and ICT, created by the Green Office KU Leuven. In this podcast series, we explored the ICT cycle with a central question. Can ICT be sustainable? And if so, how? This is the last episode of the series. The topic of this episode is e-waste art. Be sure to check out the other episodes. E-waste art is a way of repurposing electronics by using them into art projects and sculptures, turning trash into art. Mostly the intent of this art is to raise awareness on e-waste and create a public support base for political decisions on decreasing the amount of e-waste. In so doing, e-waste art is a combination of art and activism. Art with an educational taste to it. We will be talking with Casey McMahon, an artist who works with e-waste. You can find her works on her website atypicalart.com. Hi, Casey. Hello. Yes, I, my name is Casey McMahon. I'm a multimedia artist. Uh, I work primarily with sculpture, um, and I started working with technology and the way that it affects us um, back in the early 2000s. So it's been it's been many years of uh, contemplating this 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 problem and this 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 way that we approach approach the world and approach communicating with each other to me in back in the early 2000s i really became entranced with uh the amount of electronic waste that i was seeing and at the same time this was before this was pre social media so the different sense of connection and this different sense of what the web could be and what it what it meant to all of us so there was there was a lot of excitement around that about the possibility of of this interconnected world and so there was there was a lot of optimism that surrounded it and at the same time there was all of this uh this production that was happening and things were becoming more and more disposable and it it really made me look at it twice there was a, a warehouse in Los Angeles where i lived for many years uh that had remnants of all of these tech materials and i remember wandering down the aisles it it's a place where a lot of movie prop people go to and you know uh, this is a place for for builders and so i would wander down the aisles and just to see the the amount of of these things that were just discarded was incredible to me and there also was this real beauty to all of them as well but at the same time it was like wait a minute this is this is one tiny 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 piece of what we're producing at a global level and every time we make a small change to a gadget and replace it we're we're contributing to that heap and how do i in a beautiful way and in a way that surprises people how do i speak to that and so that's 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 how it started wow <laughs> <laughs> what sparked your interest to work with electronic waste great great yeah it was it was the beauty around the components themselves for sure and the certainly the possibility of what it could mean for all of us to be connected mm-hmm. and that we thought, what what does this mean down the line how can we 
you know, wait, I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm actually going to be able to speak with people all around the world. And this idea of a global brain was, you know, it was, it was on the cusp of it. And uh, now we're seeing, I don't know if any of us imagined Facebook and Instagram and, you know, these really kind of closed environments. Um, but in a sense, we have, we have achieved what we wanted to. It just looks quite different. And it might, it's, I think it's way more corporate than we had anticipated, you know? Yeah. So how does the new changes have affected your work and how do you think it will keep evolving? Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've always done the tech work and I've done other work outside of that. Um, and what I see now is I see a lot more people working with technology, which makes me want to do something else because it's, you know, I've been, I've been doing it for so long. I think, have, have I, have I said what I need to say with these pieces? And I think, I think the answer is yes. I really, um, I really enjoy the work that I've done and certainly will probably continue in that vein somewhat as, as inspiration comes. Um, and as, as, as I feel that I can speak to it more and more, but I, I think what's happened with me because of the way the world has shifted and because of, the way my thinking has shifted, I've really decided to uh, turn the page more into our connection with nature itself. Um, and with uh, like how, certainly speaking somewhat to climate change, but in a, in a, in a more, more subtle way. And just the, the relationship that we have to the natural world and how, the natural world itself has solved so many of these epic problems by true evolution and by, by simply these really organic creative means of, 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 of solving problems, you know? And, and so, so being able to look to nature for the problems that we are having trouble finding answers to, that to me is really interesting. How do we how do we flip it? How do we flip this mess that we've made and make it make it something that's achievable? Like I think when you look at when you look at the climate, when you look at how how far we've come as a species, you know, how, how much we've damaged the planet, the solution to that often seems so huge and overwhelming that I think it's hard to look at from a human level. But if you look at it from a natural level, these are things the earth has been doing for a very long time. So, <laughs> so to, to, to look more to the earth as teacher, that's, yeah. that's what I'm interested in. That's also, <laughs> that's a very natural evolvement, I think, of your art and the process. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe that also relates a bit to what do you, personally think or hope that the impact of your e-waste art or e-waste art in general could be on societal, political, or economic views of ICT? My hope with art, with my, with my personal art, is that it always will, has the capacity to make someone look at something differently. 
Like, I, I feel like there's this moment when you see something new or different, or, you know, see something presented in a way that you, that, that's unexpected, that uh, we really, you have the chance to switch someone's perspective a little bit. And it often doesn't happen instantaneously. It could be weeks or years later that they, they think, oh, but it, that made me think in a different way. That made me, made me reframe an idea um, and that with, with the e-waste art that I've done, I really was interested in, in reframing the notion of, of what it means to have, you know, thousands of components together. I think seeing that as an object um, or, you know, seeing hundreds and hundreds of circuit boards made into a horse makes someone think about it a little bit differently than just seeing a pile of trash, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the reframe in that I think there's something, there's something really wonderful about awe and wonder that it, when, when a person is struck by something, when you see something beautiful, it has a way of touching you in a way that other things don't necessarily that's 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 the beauty of art it can it can touch us in in ways that that sometimes words can't explain could you go a bit more into what the links are between art and activism and how they interconnect or interact Mm -hmm. sure uh i mean they're 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 clearly intrinsic intrinsically linked and sometimes that can be in subtle ways, and sometimes that can be in very loud, very loud ways, say verbal art, you know, that's posters or graffiti that says precisely what it wants to say. And there are other ways of, of more subtly approaching, uh, approaching things. And I, I think I try to always take the more subtle route myself, uh, not because I'm not angry I'm not you know I'm not not because I'm not thinking about these issues because they're they're so prevalent but I think that beauty and soft power has a way of speaking that can be very powerful in a way that some often things when things are very in your face or very very much for shock value I in early earlier in my career, I was very much about the shock value, and now I'm more into. Wait a minute! I think I can actually say more if something uh, has an innate beauty to it, instead of being so obvious and so so you know so so clear in my in my voice or feeling oppressed or you know. I think that things that start conversations about issues can often touch us more than something that just tells us what to think. What are some of the more positive responses Mm -hmm. you had from people or that you saw in in society or from everywhere, your art Mm -hmm. or on e-waste art in general? Really positive responses. Um, Just people really loving either the forms or um, just really being drawn to the pieces themselves. I think 
people just saying, hey, this this made me look at something in a different way, which made me very happy. They're very, very, very happy. They're, I don't know. I mean, of course, it always feels good when someone likes your art. And, and it's totally okay when someone doesn't. There's, you know, it's, it's uh, there's certainly a lot to be said about art that strikes a nerve. And some, some of my art people have, have not liked it all. And that's okay, too. When people had negative responses or not liked it at all, what did it do with your process as an activist and as an artist? Mm -hmm. Because if they have negative reactions, it's both on the art, but also on the activism, I guess. Uh-huh. Truth. Years ago, I was very sensitive about that. You know, of course, as, as a younger artist, I was like, no, but you know, every, everyone has to like it. And a mentor of mine really helped clarify that when you're making something, especially something that you want to say something, 30% of people will love it. 30% of people will be indifferent. And 30% of people will likely hate it. And if you're making art that's somewhat polarizing, you're making something that speaks. And I really took that to heart. And I continue with that in the way that um, I don't feel it's necessary to acknowledge the, the dislike of it, to, to just continue and really find my own voice and, and continue with that because it's different because it's, and, and sort of, rejoice in the fact that it's getting a reaction not and I, I don't I don't love it but at the same time it really neutralizes neutralized it for me in in realizing that when we do create we're creating we're creating for ourselves and we're creating in order to to say something and to speak and if I'm doing my job right that's probably rubbing some people a little the wrong way, you know, and, um, and that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have to resonate with them. I think sometimes also you insert other political messages into your art. One of my personal favorites was the one with the squirrel and the cameras. Ah, uh, yes. I yes. think it's really good. <laughs> your activism is not solely focused on one part it's it's really an inter intersectional activism combined with your art how do you see the intersections of your activism how does it make the message more powerful for you for many years didn't see my art as ne as necessarily activism just really just wanting to speak to hey we're we're distancing ourselves from from nature like like technology is pushing us way far From, from our natural roots. And activism in probably the past five years has become much more prevalent as a term. Does that make sense? For me, it was always just wanting to create and to speak these things that I, that I felt very strongly. I didn't classify, classify myself in, in an activist way, if that's helpful. And so now that activism is much, is much more prevalent. I can definitely see the ties, but when I look at, uh, when I look at people who are activists and who are fluent in that language and whose lives revolve around, I don't, 
I couldn't necessarily give myself that title. Does that make sense? That like, I, I feel like I create these works that can be interpreted that way, but I wouldn't put myself, I wouldn't put the word activist in my bio because I've seen activists on the ground and they are, they are hardworking and incredible and, you know, doing, these are, they are, they are moving mountains in order to create better, better ways of being. And they are, you know, they're, 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 they're working with, with humanity one-on-one. And I feel like I'm a little removed from that. Does, does that make sense? You said before that you work more subtle. And uh, I okay. do you think that you are an artist. You do identify as an artist. Yes. Your art is very incredible. Uh, I do think you are hardworking. Um, so I would say you're both an artist and an activist. I think activism can mean both the underground activism, but it can also mean art. I think it's often very difficult for both activists to consider themselves also artists or for artists to consider mm. themselves also activists because of the very images of artist or activist. And yeah, like you said, your work, like your art, it's more subtle. It's a subtle way of activism. But I do think it's equally important because you've also said that the effects of art are really important. They're more subtle, but they can really change quite a lot in another way. They're equally necessary and vital to activism. That's why, yeah. Well, thank you. That's a very high compliment. I, I, I think I have, this, I have this honorable sense of activism you know, this honorable sense of activists. And uh, so if you classify anything I do in that realm, that is, that is a high honor. So thank you. Thanks. It's, I think so many people are doing extraordinary things. <laughs> so how, how would you define e-waste art? Uh, there, there are so many different facets of it. I mean, you know, I think... Working with components for me has been has been the, the best way way of expression, um, and I've seen it done beautifully by other people as well. I, I suppose it would be anything that comes from the ICT cycle that is disposed of that uh, is somehow put to reuse or recycle and recycled in an artistic way. Mm. How would you situate e-waste art in a fair ICT cycle? I think e-waste art can be a small creative part of the e-waste cycle. There's, there's way too much of it for, for, for a large-scale um, artistic endeavor. Or maybe not. Maybe, maybe there's something. Maybe I'm not thinking on a, on a grand enough scale, you know. That we could actually. I mean, what if what if we could what if we could build a solar fueled city out of out of e scrap? You know, is is that beyond comprehension? Is there a way to melt it down and actually create building components like that? That would be incredible. Or can we somehow reuse all of that silicone and you know 
create 3D printers that can create create houses that that will you know that will regenerate some some kind of regeneration that uh, that can can thoroughly be reused uh, that that would be interesting to me but in the in the current cycle I think artists can uh, can be can be a part of it there was there's this wonderful e-waste recycler in Los Angeles uh, called Homeboy Recycling. And that was where I got a lot of my materials in, in LA. And they receive tons and tons and tons of the scrap. And they employ, they have employees who are all out of prison and have, are, they're being, I'm forgetting the word, but they're, they now have, have jobs and are being re-entered into life through Homeboy. And so all of all of this recycling is parted out. And so I would be able to go and say, okay, I need a thousand of these parts and you know, I need I need three thousand cables. And they would, you know, put it all together for me, which is wonderful. There's still this sorting process, but to have perhaps more artists with the ability to get their hands on those objects easily could be really interesting because then you have public art, you know, then you have large, if you have larger public art in a city that's created out of e-waste, then you're able to start those conversations. Then you're able to, to really, to really speak to the problem without saying, oh my God, there's a problem, you know, <laughs> which, which we all know there's a problem. But when you, when you see, when you visibly see it, it, it has the capacity to touch you differently. So I think artists, artists, more art in that realm could, could do that, which actually is inspiring me to make, want to make more. So thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do. I do agree. Um, I do think art is. It's very powerful to visualize everything and to make us more motivated. Also, to see, oh, that's how we don't want it, and that's how we do want it. It's. It's a very. It's also very future oriented in a way. And I do think, like, if you want change, you need to visualize. Yes. It's with everything, and art is really the tool to visualize. Mm-hmm. We need visualization in order to change. We absolutely do. There is, there's this wonderful talk by Neil Stevenson, the author. He, he's a science fiction writer, and he was talking about how because technology has moved so quickly that we have actually, um, sci-fi writers have sort of gotten in this, this rut where they're not able to appropriately visualize far enough ahead without it being dystopian. So, and, and we need our sci-fi writers, we need our writers to look ahead with an optimistic gaze because the kids that are reading, the kids that are reading that, the kids that are looking at that are the ones who are going to build it. It might not look exactly like that, but that gives that we need dreams. We need hope. We need joy because without that, what do we have? You know, we, yeah. We need it, even it, even in the darkest days. Like the the pandemic has been rough for everyone, yeah. but to we have you know we always have a choice to either 
sink in, sink further into that darkness or go, wait a minute. No, we are, we're human. This is what we do. Like we, we overcome. We've done it for centuries and we will continue. And we are, you know, maybe we'll be space bound. Maybe we'll, but the first thing we're going to do is take care of this planet. So we'd like to, to continue the optimistic thread Would you say that with your art, you try to give another way, uh, another view, or how would you consider your own art uh, placed on the dystopian, utopian scale? Certainly now it's much more utopian. Um, the work that I'm working on now is much more, um, I've been working with bronze, doing bronze sculptures, and they're very, they're, they're more whimsical, more nature-based, more the connection that we have with with nature itself a lot of them I did I just got the bronzes back that I made before the pandemic and they're 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 very light and whimsical I don't know if it's it's stuff I would make now but to but to see them and to see sort of this this brightness I need to embrace that and move forward with with that same joy and joie de vie because uh, it's really it's necessary right now you know we, we need we all need a shot of hope Yeah. yeah, very much. <laughs> very much, very much. Yeah, maybe that's also like when you work with the e-scrap, how do you collect your materials? Where do you collect them from? Um, usually tech recyclers. Uh, in LA, I had quite a few contacts there. Homeboy Recycling was great. And then there were some that, that supplied for the entertainment industry and my favorite jobs were to my favorite job ever was getting hired on by a film by a film to create a couple of pieces for them for for the interior and uh they said okay here's a truck here are two guys go get whatever scrap you need and they said they sent me to this place that just had they had everything perfectly organized in boxes and it's it's rarely like that you know it's it's generally diving through Um, yes. and trying to trying to collect uh so that was that was really fun that was like like my heaven um yeah <laughs> uh, and here here in Mexico I I had a commission just before the pandemic started that I accepted and so finding the e-scrap here was a very different experience because there you know it's it's not as regulated And I think here, they're actually in Mexico City, where I was at the time. There's a kilometer square, you know, larger than a few city blocks in east side of Mexico that supposedly has a ton of e-waste. And that's um, supposed to be an excellent resource for me. Uh, however, anyone that I asked, can I, can I go there? Will you come with me? Will you, you know, I, I need to go. I need to go get, get some scrap. And they said... You cannot go because Mexico City, many parts are very, very, very safe. Many parts you, you just don't, don't go to. And that, that was one of them. I was so disappointed in not, in not being able to go and actually see it for myself. But also knowing, you know, it's easy to romanticize that there's this area that I could get all of this scrap. But the reality is, is that it's, it's unregulated. There are people working in really toxic environments and they're selling a lot of this scrap or to, to get by, you know, and many, uh, I, I don't know the, the exact figure, but I will say some of the e-waste does come, that comes into Mexico 
does come from the U.S. and because they are able to dispose of it easier here. And that's, that's really problematic. I did end up finding the cables. I did end up finding cables at a, a small, tiny, tiny place. It was an adventure. It took, it took a, a lot longer than I ever had. And I, I, felt like, I felt like I won the lottery when I finally came home with a couple of bags. Of- yeah, I did. I was like, I can't believe. Because it was during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, I mean, everything was shut down. I thought, oh, I'm never, how am I going to be able to finish this? And uh, thankfully, <laughs> it happened. Miracles happen. <laughs> That's actually quite amazing that, like, it can be actually difficult. I mean, there is so much e-waste art and that you actually encounter difficulties to find access to the e-waste, to create art with it. That's yes. That's really striking. It, it is. It's kind of ridiculous, yes? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think here part of that reason might be because it's, it's more of a developing country. And so anything that's of value, wire, anything that might have copper in it, is immediately slated as this can be turned into cash some way, somehow. And so, so it's not as perhaps not as discarded as it is in the U.S. Um, I'm not sure. That's a guess. But yeah. it was really hard to find. It was really hard to find. So funny. Yeah. In retrospect, it was funny at the time. It was like, because I would literally go down to the street and ask anyone. Uh, they, they come by collecting uh, remnants of things in Ciudad de Mexico. And... There's this recording that the trucks say, which is basically, we'll buy your stoves, we'll buy anything that you have, you know, and, the, and it's very loud and they come down the street all the time. So I would, I would always go out to the street and ask them, hey, do you guys have any wires? How can I, you know, where can I find things? And there was a disconnect there that <laughs> probably my own disconnect, I'll own it, but there was a disconnect. <laughs> yeah. When you finally found your electro scrap, in a lot of these waste, there are quite some toxic materials. Um, how do you deal with these materials? How do you handle it? Which, with which waste you don't work? Which waste do you prefer? I try to be very, very, very careful, obviously. Uh, and the, for anything that's toxic... Um, thankfully, I wasn't working with toxic here in Mexico, but for anything that's toxic, I like to run it through an actual recycler because then they can remove the components that um, that are not to be touched or you know anything that might be slightly acidic. So to always work with gloves and to just be really aware of what the components might have in them. Uh, just just being careful. <laughs> yeah. And what do you do with your artworks? Where do they go? Uh, generally, they're commissioned. The bronzes are something that it's, this has been a show that I wanted to put together. So that's a little bit different. But all of the, the majority of the, of the e-waste art has been uh, done on commission. And so either someone will, will ask me to create something um, you know, hey, 
we would like you to create something that speaks to this or, or we need a horse out of circuit boards. Um, you know, it, it can be very specific or it can be very vague. You can mm-hmm. also work with more natural materials. What message does it bring to you to use the Electra scrap? What do you prioritize into the message in your art? Yeah, I do think when, when working with the scrap, I'm speaking more directly to to that. Like it's it's very specific. There's not there's not as much nuance, and it's it's a simple way of of saying, "Hey, look at this problem. Hey, this exists." So I do think that that when you that when you make things beautifully in that way, it's it can speak a lot. So that that has been a lot of the motive around using the scrap itself. Of course, there, there are so many other ways to say it. And I think that those are ways that I'm exploring now that are mm-hmm. closer tied to organic forms and just hum- ourselves as humans. What are some of the best resources that helped you along the way in your work? Like where did you get From who did you get inspiration or how did you get started? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, well, there are so many incredible female artists that I feel like seeing the way that they've been able to speak about being a woman in this society has always been incredibly intriguing and inspiring to me. You know, that like Louise Bourgeois, has has always been just this this fiery wonderful figure and looking at the ways that that many women i think refuse to be defined solely by being a woman i think that has always been really inspiring to me i have so many women ahead of me that have shown that that can be done i think that lends itself to giving me the confidence to move forward. And I think I'm really inspired too by the materials themselves that seeing, you know, to me still to this day, circuit boards are beautiful. You know, they're, they're like tiny cities, you know, it's, it's the mix of the, ma- the macro and the micro. So there, there's this beauty to technology that is also so intrinsically tied to nature. And I think I just, I received, you know, starting to do this in, in the early 2000s, it was very new. There wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't happening, you know, so I I was a a pioneer in some ways to creating work that, that looked like this, or, you know, alternative ways of of dealing with, with um, tech. And so to receive a good response, of course, you're like, well, great, I'll do more, you know, this is, this is, so that, that can be inspiring. So it felt like I was able to say what I wanted to say through, through the work. And yes. that, that was rewarding. Yeah. That's really great. <laughs> One more quite important question in uh-huh. our podcast series. Yes. Do you think that there could be such a thing as fair ICT or is the ICT cycle inherently unfair? Wonderful question. I think that it's <laughs> stating the obvious. It's a, it's an incredibly complex problem that is going to take 
a commitment from the top down to the consumer to creating a more sustainable way of creating this because clearly technology is not going away. So how, how do we approach the creation of technology in a way that, that we can, that we can make things more streamlined, that we can make things that actually last. I'm an optimist. Um, so, so I like to think that it's possible. I think it begins with social responsibility from material sourcing to production from top down, you know, from, from the corporate global corporate level to the individual consumer, you know, it's, it's, it's about making conscious different choices that will affect this cycle because the, the way what we've, the way that we've been working with, you know, this continuously disposable cycle, it's not sustainable and it really is a race to the bottom. You know, we're, we're seeing the repercussions of that and feeling them heat waves right now, you know, it's, it's very, very, very tangible and noticeable. So in order to make those kinds of global changes, we need a shift in thinking. And uh, one thing that I thankful for with the pandemic is that it gave us a means of discussing large scale problems as a global unit, instead of simply as as countries because it with things like illness with climate change these are issues that affect all of us you know that that affect us at, at every level you know you consider the lowest person on the totem pole is equally affect as affected as the highest person on the totem pole and so so if you look at things that way i think it really it changes the dynamic that we that we approach things that we approach approach these these global problems and so my my hope is that as we see this unraveling from the pandemic that we we really have an opportunity now to redefine what it means to be creating and to be to be to be creating this global communication unit to be doing it in a way that we can continue doing it for years to come, that our kids can continue. Can it be fair? Of course, I'm, I'm coming from a somewhat idealized perspective, but I think we don't really have a choice. We don't have the luxury of choice because without it being fair, I think we're perpetuating this cycle of unsustainability instead of creating a cycle where we can all thrive. That's <laughs> Thank you. Of course. of course. As one to wrap up, is there uh-huh. something or some advice or tips you could give to fellow artists and activists in their journey to explore how to convey a message through art or how to combine mm-hmm. art and activism? I would say the the best thing that you can do is to realize that your own unique voice is just that. That you, we all as, as individuals are, you know, we're seeing the world through different filters. We are, we, depending upon our upbringing and 
and our schooling, or if we didn't go to school, you know, we, we have these different perspectives on the world. And, and each one of those is valuable to really look at and, and know that what you are feeling, that voice inside, the gut, whatever it is, maybe it's a whisper or maybe it's a shout that wants to be heard. That's you. That, that is uniquely you. And it might be different than what someone else is doing. And that's great, you know, to, to, really, to really follow those, those instincts that you feel because the way that you're processing the world, the way, the way that you've processed all of your intake is really your own. I think it's easy to feel like, especially just starting out, that your voice needs to look a certain way or, you know, that, that what you're expressing needs to have to have a certain rhythm. But I, I think there's so much beauty in just really being bold about expressing what is central to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course. Thank you. I hope the project goes wonderfully for you. I'm really grateful for being able to interview you and to make this episode with you. It's been a big honor. I love, I love your work. I love your art. Thank it, you. It's amazing. Thank you. The, the honor is mine. Thank you. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for including it. And thank you for, thank you for including art in a series that generally doesn't tap on that, you know, I think it's, it's a really lovely, a lovely approach. I hope it goes excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.